And that's really what I want to kind of talk about today is, is the subject of love. I went to Walmart on February 14th and I saw a bunch of guys running around after work picking out flowers, picking out candy, and I was there with them trying to get something from my girl, my girls, my daughter, my wife. I had to return the next day to return the gift, but I still, the thought counts, right, honey? The thought counts. I did my best. I did return it, and I will buy a better gift very soon. But everybody was trying to keep love alive, right? But love, the subject of love, spiritually, has been a hard lesson for the church and for the world to learn. What love really means. Now there's different ideas about what love means and what love is. But the world and and so many folks have confused the idea of what love is. And, And of course the Bible, the Scriptures give us a definition of love that's very specific. Some people confuse love with an emotion. And certainly there is an emotive quality to love. But if you know anybody and if you know yourself, you know that your emotions... Don't stay consistent, do they? No, in fact, your emotions today will be different probably even later on this evening. Our emotions change, don't they? And so emotions aren't love. They may be a color of love. They may be a demonstration of love at a given time. But love is not an emotion, is it? Certainly people have confused sexuality with love, thinking that love is sexuality, but love is not that either. When we talk about the spiritual idea of love, what love is has to do with value. It really has to do with value. And when we talk about love, we're talking about the value of a person. That's what it's about. That every person is valuable and that value, that love is intrinsic to the person themselves. It's a part of who they are. It's the part of the human dignity. It's it's intrinsic to the individual. And so this comes as an issue because people like to use people as a means to an end, don't they? But when it comes to the value that's in people, you can't do that. Because they are a product, they are the object of God's love and that's intrinsic, that intrinsic value is there in the individual. No matter who they are. No matter if they're rich. No matter if they're poor. No matter if they're a leper. No matter if they're sick. No matter their color, no matter their creed, no matter their nationality, no matter who they are, they are valued, they are loved because of an intrinsic value placed by God. It also gets us to the point that this value in the individual is transcendent. That while it is intrinsic to the individual, it is rooted in something transcendent. 
You see, the love and value of a person is not predicated on anything. It's not predicated on the usefulness of that person. That's why no matter how old a person is, they're valued. No matter if they're unborn, they're valued. Love is not predicated on utility. It's predicated on God. Because God is transcendent. That means no matter what I say, no matter what you say, no matter what the government says, no matter what the press says, the value of a person is transcendent, rooted in who God is. And guess what that means? It's unchanging. It's unchanging. It's rooted in an eternal God. But sometimes we have a problem because love is more than this feeling. Love is this value. But love is also demonstrated in action. Isn't it? Because it's ultimately an exercise of the will. And I can ask myself a hard question this morning. Am I a loving person? Am I engaging in loving activity? If you turn to 1 Corinthians 13, you can put your name in 1 Corinthians 13 and you can put it in verse 4. Start putting your name in the verse. And see if your name agrees with the, with the description of what love is. You can put my name there. Laws suffers long. In other words, laws is patient. Is that true? He's kind. His love does not envy. Laws does not parade himself away around. Love is not puffed up. Laws does not behave rudely. Laws does not seek his own. Laws is not provoked. Laws thinks no evil. Laws does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Laws bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Can I put my name there? Can you put your name in the place of love? If you can, then you're living in a loving way. But if all of a sudden something there disagrees with who you are and what you're doing, then you're not living according to the ethic of love. Love has been a hard lesson for the world. It's been a hard lesson for the church to learn. But you see, God has not called us to these lives of mediocrity. No, God has called us to lives of eternal purpose. In fact, Peter describes the church as a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. And that has called us to live in a relationship with Him. Because isn't that how Jesus described how we are to live with God? They asked Him, what are the two greatest commandments? Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as yourself. And on this, all of the law and the prophets hang on this truth. God has called us into relation with Him. He's called us to love. Love is necessary. Love is not just a luxury. 
Love is necessary to life. It is. A psychologist by the name of Dr. Renee Spitz did a study years ago in the 40s. Probably couldn't do it today. But what he did is he looked at institutional children, children who were being raised in institutions. And there were two different institutions. One was in a sterile hospital. One was in a very sterile hospital. The other place was in a prison. And he was going to see how the different children grew up in those different environments. And what he found was amazing. Because what he found was is that the children who were raised in a sterile environment, but they, were, they weren't loved. They weren't touched. They were left in an environment, but they, were, they didn't have the love of their mother. But in the prison, the children were raised with their mothers. And so given on a naturalistic thought, given biologically, you would think that the children in a sterile environment would grow and do better. But that's not what he found. He found that 37% of the children who were raised in the hospitals isolated died. Not only that, the babies that were raised in prison grew quicker and better in every way. The children that survived raised in isolated environments were smaller and exhibited biological and behavioral problems. You can have a sterile environment. You can have the cleanest hospital. But a baby with her mother in prison, in prison, in prison with love does better than a child isolated. Love is necessary. And what we're reading today in Revelations 2 is about a church and their love. The church at Ephesus. A storied church. We have the establishment of the church at Ephesus in Acts chapter 18 and 19. Paul was so effective in his preaching there that he threatened the paganism there. Remember, it was the silver makers and the idol makers who were threatened by the preaching of Paul. He was converting so many people. He was overcoming the idolatry business that was going on in Ephesus. And by the time that John writes this letter at the direction of Jesus Christ, the Ephesus church had changed in some ways. Listen to what it says. First, it says, Jesus says in verse 2, I know your works, your labor, your patience with those, and you bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say that they are apostles and are not, and have found them to be liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for My name's sake and have not become weary. Jesus begins to talk to the church at Ephesus and He tells them the good things that they're doing. He says, I know your works. I know what you've done. And you've done good things. You've persevered. You've tried the spirits. you found those false teachers out. So externally, externally the church at Ephesus was getting it right. They had everybody coming to church at 10.30 and everybody was on time. They were teaching all the right things at Bible study. 
In fact, they had dispelled all the false teachers. But that was externally. And sometimes in our religion, we can get so focused on the externals, we lose sight of what? That religion, there's something more than the externals. And Jesus is concerned not only with what we do, but what's on the inside, isn't He? If you read the Sermon on the Mount, you'll come across the word heart very quickly, won't you? And you get to verse 4 here. What does Jesus say? Nevertheless, I have this against you. This is Jesus. That you have left your first love. Wow. That when Jesus examined their hearts, that when Jesus examined what was internally, what was going on internally inside of them, He says, even though you've got the externals right, even though you have done so much internally, you're losing sight, you're losing that passion for Me. You're losing that love for Me. And isn't that a convicting thing for each of us? And he says, remember therefore from where you have fallen. Think back to when you heard the Gospel and it connected to your heart. When you realized how much God loved you. Remember when you were immersed into Christ. Remember the water dripping off of you. Remember the zeal. Remember the resolution that you had that I'm not going to sin like I used to sin. That I'm going to tell people the good news of the Gospel. I'm going to tell people what God has done for me. Jesus says, you have left your first love. You've got it right on the outside, but inside something's wrong. So let me ask you just a few questions. Number one, Have you lost your first love for God? Have you lost your awe for God? Think about the Creator of the universe. That's who we're worshiping here today. Not just anyone. The heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament therein. We're talking about a universe, our galaxy... Just our galaxy alone has 30 billion suns in it. 200,000 light years across. How fast is light speed? How fast is 186,000 miles per second? That's the God that we serve. Have you lost your love for who God is? Have we lost our love for His Word? Remember that God created the heavens and the earth through His Word. Psalm says, by the Word of the Lord the heavens were made. The same Word of God that created the universe is in your hands. The same power of God's Word that created the universe is in this book. Have we lost our love for the Bible? For His Word. 
Here's the even crazier thing about it. Is that the same God who created the heavens and the earth loves you. That's why Psalmist David of old in Psalms chapter 8, 4, he says, What is man that you are mindful of him and take care of him? The same God who created the universe loves you. Knows you. In fact, knows you so well, He knows how many hairs are on your head. Or how many aren't. Yeah. I'm getting there too. God loves you. Have you lost your love for Him? Number one. Number two, have you lost your love for the church? The church is such a beautiful thing. And it's described by Scripture as being the very body of Jesus. How could you lose the love for that? The church is His body and we get to be a part of His body. The church, it says in Ephesians 1.22, He put all things under His feet and gave Him to be the head over all things to the church, which is His body and the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Not only is the church described as the very body of Christ, which is pretty intimate, right? But it also describes the church as the very bride of Christ. And the church came at a great price for this world. That it says that Christ purchased the church with His own blood, Acts 20.28. That's how much love that Christ has for the church is that He gave Himself, He purchased it with His own blood. How much more should my love be than it is today for the church? That the very blood of Jesus purchased the church a community of broken people who find healing. That's what the church is. The church is our first step into heaven. That's what the church is. It's a taste of heaven on earth to where people encourage and praise God. But sometimes, like all of us, some of us have been hurt by the church, haven't we? There's been times in my life to where someone in the church has hurt me. And sometimes when that hurt happens, when we get wounded, we transfer that woundedness into disliking the church. But last time I remembered is the church is made up of sinners. Right? People who are desiring to be better. People who are sinners who have been forgiven. And that we should strive to show the grace of love to the people who are sitting next to us. To love one another as Christ loved us. You know, but it also talks about hating deeds here. Look at verse 6. But this you have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Isn't that an interesting phrase? We're talking about love, but Jesus says there's some things that you can hate. They're not people, okay? doesn't say anything about hating the Nicolaitans. It says we hate their deeds. Why? Because their deeds were sinful. 
And you see, if you truly love someone, you hate sin. You hate sin. And if you've seen this world for any amount of time, you see what sin does to the world. Then you hate it. So not only is my love to be renewed for the church, my love to be renewed for God, but I need to be renewed in my hate for sin. Strong language. But considering what sin does, for the wages of sin is what? Death. And I don't want sin and I don't want the wages of death for any person here. Oh, I love cancer. How many people say that? Oh, I love AIDS. How many people say that? But I will hear someone say, I hate cancer. I hate cancer. I hate AIDS because of what it does to the person I've held hands with someone dying of AIDS. And I can tell you, I hate it. Watch my father ravaged by cancer. I hate it. And I hate what sin has done to this world. I hate it. But not only am I to love God, I don't need to lose that first love for God, my first love for the church. I don't need to lose my first love for the lost. You know, loving people is tough. Loving the church is tough because it's people. Loving the lost is difficult too. And sometimes in this life when we give and when we pray, and we want people to understand the gospel and just what God's doing. We can, our love can wane, can it? Jesus even talks about this in Matthew chapter 24 when talking about the end of the age. He talks about in Matthew 24, and you will hear, hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there will be famine and pestilence and earthquakes in various places and all these things are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many and because of lawless, lawlessness will abound. Listen to this, verse 12. The love of many will grow cold. Just like what happened in Ephesus. Our love grows cold for the lost. And we forget that the church was created for the lost. The whole mission of the church is go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, loving the lost. That's why we're here. Have we lost our first love? Have we lost the value that we see in each other? It means loving one another is telling each other the truth in love. Encouraging one another. Remembering that God loves every person out there. Jesus died for this world. So we have to love people. Will you renew your love today for Christ? To seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. 
Will you seek first Him today? Will you renew your love for His church to say, yes, I am a member of the body of Christ. How can I contribute to the work of the church? How can I make myself useful in the work of the church and in the life of the church? Renew your love for the church. Renew your love for the lost. How can I bring Jesus into a conversation with someone? How can I touch someone with the name of Christ? There's no one like Him. He offers this world salvation. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. It is the name of Christ. Have you obeyed Him? The Bible says it it begins in faith. It begins by believing the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We see what sin does and we repent. We turn from that sin which destroys us. We turn from the hate. We turn from that which is malicious and we turn to God. We turn to life. We confess Jesus to be the Son of the living God. We're baptized. We're immersed into His body, the church. For by one Spirit are you baptized into His body, the church. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Have you obeyed Him? Or maybe you are a member, a follower of Christ, but your love has waned just like those at Ephesus. Jesus says, repent. Repent and know that in the end there is a garden and the tree of life resides there. A gift of His grace. If you have any need, we want to assist you. We're going to sing this next song to encourage you. So if you have any need, won't you come now as together we stand and as we